0: You know, next week we're going to have waffles with the wise, and uh, kind of between 8 and 9. If you want to eat with us and come and have some waffles, show up between 8 and 9. Don't show up at 8.59 and want to eat waffles. We're cutting it off at 9, okay? But I also, need some, I also need some waffle makers. I need six of them, and I have two, and I, have, I need four more waffle makers. You got one? Okay, there's one, there's one. Anybody else want to... Okay, I got two more over here. Just make sure they're here sometime before next Sunday morning at 8, okay? So if you want to bring them in during the week, you could do that and we'll have them set up and ready to go. But thank you for doing that. I really appreciate that. I also want to encourage you to mark your calendar for September the 21st uh, in the evening at 7 p.m., We have a special guest that's going to be here speaking. His name is Lonnie Riley, and some of you may know him. Uh, We, uh, in 2014, we took a mission trip to Lynch, Kentucky, and a group from our church went and we worked at at, uh, his uh, ministry area and and did some things there, but um, he's going to be here and he's going to be sharing some things. Uh, ...that God has been doing, and um, I know that you won't want to miss it. You'll be greatly encouraged to hear some of the God stories that Lonnie Riley shares. Uh, just as he walks by faith, he's been called um, kind of a modern-day George Mueller. Okay, So uh, if you want to hear some, some, uh, uh, some great testimony, uh, come on uh, Friday the 21st. We're going to be in Romans chapter 14... And uh, I may not have uh, many slides today. We've had some technical difficulties. I turned my homework in, but, uh, you know, technology being what it is, it may not uh, work for us today. But, um, (laughs) sure, dog ate my homework. You know, there was was a dog, that reminds me, a dog walks into a butcher shop. And um, I don't tell very many stories or jokes, so listen up. Dog walks into a butcher shop and, and, uh, with a purse strapped on his neck and he walks up to the, the, the meat counter there and, and he's waiting patiently and there's another fellow there finishing up his transaction and when the butcher finishes with that man, he asks the dog, he says, well, what can I do for you today? And the dog goes over and he puts his, his paw up on the glass in, in front of the ground beef and he, he says, okay, you want some ground beef? He said, how much do you want? And the dog barked twice. So he said, Oh, he wants two pounds of ground beef. And so he wrapped it up and got that for him. He says, Is there anything else for you today? And the, the dog goes over and he puts his paw in front of the pork chops. He says, Oh, you want pork chops? He, he says, How many do you want? And he and he he barked four times. So he wrapped four pork chops up. And uh, the, the fellow that finished his transaction was really interested in this dog. Then the dog goes around behind the counter and uh, gives the, uh, lets the butcher have access to his purse. He pulls out the appropriate money and, and uh, so completes the transaction. And, and the dog goes out the door and heads down the street. Well, this guy is just intrigued about this dog. So he follows him down the street a, a few blocks. And, and he gets to this house and he goes up and he, he scratches on the door. And um, the owner comes to the door and lets the dog in. And the the guy that was in the butcher shop, he said, man, that's a smart dog you have. And he said, well, he's not really all that smart. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, that's the second time this week he's forgot his key. (laughs) Let me tell you, don't forget your key. It happens to all of us, okay, from time to time. But don't forget your key. It's important. You know, I had a college physics professor, Dr. Smith. He would begin every class by explaining his teaching method. And he, this is what he would do. He would begin by saying, class, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. And then I'm going to tell you. And then I'm going to tell you what I told you. And then we'll review. Folks, I think that's with Paul, the Apostle Paul in Romans 14. He's a master teacher. Him and Dr. Smith seem to have some teaching methods in common. And the verses that we're going to look at today, they don't say much new that we haven't heard in these passages we've been preaching on in the last several weeks. But instead they say one more time what Paul has already said. But you know, since the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to repeat these words and these concepts, instead of tuning out, we need to be tuning in. Because I, I would submit that what he is saying is very important. And apparently these are things that we can easily forget, and so we need to be reminded and we need to hear them again. And I would say to you this morning that one of the surest evidences that we are children of God is our purposing to do what's right. Deep down, we know. We have the Holy Spirit as our teacher and our guide, and we know. And one of the the, the best evidences uh, that we belong to God is the fact that we purpose in our hearts to do right. To do the right thing. You know, Christians aren't as good as Jesus. But we sure do want to be. We sure would like to be. You know, Jesus said it this way. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Oh, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow him. Read with me in Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 19 and following. He says this. He says, So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have has as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eating; his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. And I, I ask God that your Holy Spirit would even now... Just open our hearts and and evaluate and, and see deep within our hearts. Father, we know that you see all things. And before you, all things are laid bare. So I ask that your Holy Spirit would examine us. And Father, that we would see if there is any areas where we've given ground to the enemy in our lives. Father, if there is things that we are not true to you in. Father, if there's things that we know that is not right. I pray, Father, that you would help us to get it right with you and with one another. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask that you would bless this time. Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, the question I want to give you this morning is... How can we know? How can we know the will of God? How can we know what is right? How can we know what is wrong? We don't. We don't always. It's not always just crystal clear for us. We need to understand what the will of God is, and sometimes the choices may seem equally attractive. I mean, you think about it. For example, there may be a young man who feels a call to serve the Lord, and he wants to serve the Lord, but he's not sure if God is calling him into uh, ministry as his vocation, or if God is calling him to serve in the he currently has, and just be a godly person in that role. I mean, how do you decide, how do you know exactly what God's will is? I mean, where's the chapter? Where's the verse in the Bible that will specifically settle this or a thousand other questions, is this right or is this wrong? And I think that many times we're, we're confused on that and we don't know what to do about it. So what do we do? We listen many times to public opinion. We may ask our friends what they think. We may see something on television or on the media or on the internet and we think, well, that's what we should do. But folks, we need to understand what God's will is. We need to know what God's will is. And this morning I want to encourage you with some principles that will help you in knowing God's will. Principles that will help you in knowing God's will. And the first thing I want to say about that is this. That God's will is personified in Jesus Christ. God's will is personified in Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the goal that was expressed by the Apostle Paul over in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 13 through 15, he says this. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man... "...to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves... ...and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming... ...but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ." What he's saying is, is if you want to know God's will, then you need to follow Jesus. Because Jesus was completely obedient to God's will. See, the the, the problem is, is is we, we don't want to follow Jesus. We decide we're not going to follow Jesus. We want our own will rather than his will. I mean, Jesus is the perfect example of a person who did God's will. I mean, his, his, his prayer was, Father, glorify your name. In John 12, that's what he says. Father, glorify your name. You remember when he was on the Mount of, of Transfiguration. In, in uh, Matthew 17, I believe. No, excuse me. Other place. In Matthew 26... As he's in the garden of Gethsemane, he's praying and he says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He's the perfect example of a person who did God's will. I mean, he alone could pray like he did in John 17. He said this, he said, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Have you accomplished the work? ...that God has given you to do? I mean, if we're truly honest, we would probably say, not yet. I don't believe that I'm through with what God has given me to do yet. Some of us may be like Jonah, and we're running a thousand miles in the wrong direction. Because we don't want to do God's will. He may have called us for something, and we're running from that. But Jesus is the perfect example of someone who did God's will. He completed it. You see, the father confirmed that his son was the perfect example. Here we go. At the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, when he said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And then he said, Listen to him. Listen to him. I think that's big. You know, Charles... Sheldon, in his remarkable book, In His Steps, he uh, faced the problems of his day by asking that question, what would Jesus do? It became popular a few years ago, several years ago. But an even more valid question would be this, what would Jesus have us to do? If we're following Him, what would Jesus have us to do? See, the great commandment is this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Oh, that we would love God more. You see, love, love is synonymous with God's will. He says, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. You want to do God's will? Love him with all your heart. You want to do God's will? Love your neighbor like you love yourself. See, I think this is important because when I talk about love, I'm not talking about a feeling. I'm not talking about lust. I'm not talking about something that is fleshly and earthly. What I'm talking about is a choice that is, it means we're going to bring goodwill to those around us accompanied by the right actions. Many times we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about our motives. And sometimes our motives aren't right. We do in order to get rather than do in order to do right. But folks, we've got to do the right thing. And if we want to be obedient to God, we need to understand that it's accompanied by right actions. The person who seeks to do God's will may be sure that anything contrary to love is not in in accordance with God's will. So God's will is personified in Jesus. Love is synonymous with God's will, but also this, this principle Seek the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Seek the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Many times we're not even curious what the Holy Spirit is is trying to say to us. We're just going through life, well, I'll do what I want, I'll I'll take care of this, I'll take care of that. And, And we try to live our life apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit who keeps nudging us. Who keeps putting it out there for us and saying, come on, be obedient. Let's do this. And you know what? We don't. Seek the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus promised us. He promised us the Holy Spirit would be present and an aid to us in this life. Over in John 14, verse 26, Jesus said, listen to him. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So if you seek the Holy Spirit, He will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance, He will remind you of the things that the Lord has taught you. Seek the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He also says in 1526... Jesus said, listen to him... When the helper comes... Whom I will send to you from the Father... That is the Spirit of truth... Who who proceeds from the Father... He will testify about me. Here's my point... Concerning the Holy Spirit. It's implied... That when we seek the aid of the Holy Spirit to know God's will. We're on our knees, we're earnestly desiring God's will. When we are, are, are doing that, it is implied that when we seek the aid of the Holy Spirit to know God's will. That means that when we understand what he gives us to do, that we will be committed to doing God's will. You're not going to ask him if you're not planning on being obedient. I would not ask somebody and seek someone out and ask them for directions or even what they would like me to do if I'm not planning on doing it. I wouldn't ask somebody for directions if I'm not planning on following it. I wouldn't ask Brian Massengale if he wanted me to come and mow his yard if I wasn't planning on going over and mowing his yard. So don't seek the Holy Spirit if you're not planning on being obedient. Folks, we need to understand this because the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us all things and he guides us into all truth. If we want to know what the Holy Spirit, what God's will is for our life, we need to seek his leadership in our life. We need to ask the Holy Spirit. You see, obedience is the open door To added knowledge. You got to take that first step. You got to keep walking. See one of Jesus' most wonderful promises is found in John 7 verse 17. He said if anyone. Hey that includes me. If anyone is willing to do his will. He will know of the teaching whether it is of God. Or whether I speak of myself. Folks we got to understand that. This Bible here is our guidebook. It's a record of God's revelation of His will. And I love this because it contains the prophecies about the Messiah. It contains all of the things that we need to know. It has all the accounts of the Spirit-led missionary adventures of the apostles and the Christians in the first century. It gives us a full picture of who God is and what He wants us to do. The problem is, we don't know his word and so therefore we don't know his will see the Holy Spirit will guide us in that so how how do we apply these principles I mean is it ever right to do wrong is it ever right to do wrong I mean some decisions that we make and I have to make are very easy. Notice here what what Paul says in in um, in this this passage. <laughs> I love it because he says so. Then we pursue the things which are made for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of of God for the sake of food. All thin, things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and and gives offense. But I, I like when he says this. He says now. The deeds of the flesh are evident. Look at Galatians 5 with me. Galatians 5. Paul writes this. He says in chapter 5, verse 19. Is it ever right to do wrong? Some things, some things in Scripture are written out for us. And so we know that they are wrong. Some decisions are very easy. Paul says this. He says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Which are. And then he lists them. Immorality. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. Sorcery. Enmities. Strife. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. Disputes. Dissensions. Factions. Envying. Drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Some things are pretty clear. When he talks about immorality, he's talking about all things that involve sex outside of marriage. When he's talking about some of these other things, I think we know what drunkenness is. I think we understand what all of these other things are. You met people that just love to blow anger out and and, and emotionally vomit on people? You know what I'm talking about? You're walking through your day, and then all of a sudden it's like, and you're like, oh man, you got a towel or anything? Because like, this is, I just need to go home and take a shower. Outbursts of anger. Those are not of God. Because he goes on and he says this. Anyone can see that these type of things violate the principles that help us know God's will. But Paul adds in verse 22. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, is peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control, and against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Oh, that's where we need to be. I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, oh how we need that. Some decisions are easy, they're very clear, we know, we, we, we recognize that. But some other decisions are very difficult. I mean, right and wrong may not be so clearly distinguished. And sometimes the choice seems to be maybe the best of several good options... Or maybe it might be, you know, the least evil of several bad options. But I want to give you four spiritual nuggets today, if I might. Four nuggets. You know, we're mining for gold here, right? I mean, we want to take that gold, we want to stick it in our pocket, and we want to pull it out later and look at it and, 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 and apply it to our lives. The four nuggets here of our scripture today, and the first one is found in Verse 19. And I would say this, being very concise, pursue harmony and be helpful. Pursue harmony and be helpful. You know, he says that in in, in Romans 14. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. You know, the mother of a scout... Troop, She was uh, getting ready to take her, these boys on a, a hike and, and uh, she said to her son, she said, I'm not taking you on this hike if you don't forgive Billy for stealing your candy bar. Well, he said, Billy doesn't want to be forgiven. She said, then make him listen. So suddenly her son chases down Billy, knocks him to the ground, gets over on top of him. And he says, Billy, I forgive you for stealing my candy bar. But it sure would be a whole lot easier if you, to forget it if you would wipe the chocolate off your face. I mean, sometimes we need that. We, 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 we need to pursue harmony and, and be helpful. And let me ask you do, you, do you build up people? Do you build up others? Or do you tear them down? Do you build them up or do you tear them down? And whether we like to admit it or not, our actions, our actions either strengthen or weaken the church. Our actions either strengthen or they weaken the church. I mean, we're either flames or we're flowers. You see, our words, they have the power to construct or destruct. Over in Ephesians, again, chapter 4, Paul said this. He said, let no unwholesome, the word there literally means rotten. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, for building up according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Can we say there was no unwholesome word came out of our mouth this week toward a coworker, toward a family member, toward a brother or sister in Christ? Because that's what we need to do. I mean, I hope you're not like the hysterical husband who is impossible to please. You know, his wife, he he really he was really cranky at breakfast and so she'd try to cook him some eggs and sometimes she would cook him, you know, scrambled eggs, but if if she scrambled them, he wanted them poached. And if she poached him, he wanted him scrambled. She got the bright idea, well, maybe I'll do one of each. So she set the plate down in front of him and sure that he would be happy. And he looked down at it and he said, what's wrong with you, woman? You scrambled the wrong egg. Does that describe anyone here? We can be overly critical all the time. Because things aren't to our liking, the way we want it. I mean, are you always unhappy? And do your words wipe people out? Because folks, it happens a lot. And we don't think twice about it. We might get on the computer and go on a rant and wipe people out. Folks, we're going to give an account for every idle word spoken not just here but also here if we're tearing down the body of Christ then shame on us we ought to be doing those things that are building it up but you know if you're like most of us and I include myself in all of this you need some help in knowing how to change what you say guilty There's been many times I've come across sharp, uncaring. There's been many times where i said things without running it through the filter of the Holy Spirit. There have been times where I've said things and instantly watched that spirit in that person begin to shrink back and crumble, knowing that I was doing damage in their life. And you and I both know we are all guilty of that in many ways and in many times. But listen, in order for us to put, to flesh this out in our families and in our jobs, in our campuses. I'm going to give us a specific application for each one of these little nuggets, these takeaways this morning. You know, somebody said, well, there's an app for that. I got an app for you today. It's application. In every conversation that you have this week. Purposefully say something, say one, at least one encouraging word to the person to whom you're speaking. Say one word of encouragement, at least one, to every person you talk to. Pursue harmony and be helpful, that's the application. Secondly, we see in verse 20, he says don't tear down, and really don't demolish those With whom you disagree. Our country needs to hear this so badly today. Don't demolish those with whom you disagree. See, the the opposite word of construct is to destroy. And he uses that term in verse 20 for tearing down a building. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. You know, this tearing down happens a lot of times in marriages. It's like the couple that were driving down the country road and they were having this argument. And both of them got so mad that they couldn't even look at each other. They couldn't even talk to each other. They're driving down the road and and they won't say anything because they're just angry, seething with anger. And they pass this, this pasture and there's some mules out there. And the woman says sarcastically, uh, relatives of yours? And without missing a beat, he said, yep, in-laws. I mean, Paul repeats what he's been saying over and over and over. Don't demolish, don't tear down a brother and sister in Christ over uh, your right to do something. We should preserve the dignity of one another. You remember, we talked about a a, a week or two ago, what I do affects you, and what you do affects me. Because we are all part of the body of Christ. And if it means that we abstain from something for the sake of a brother or sister, then that's what we better do. I mean, do you love people more than you love being right? I think this is huge. Because we need to be asking... Not the question, can I do this or not? The question we need to be asking is, if I do this, how will it affect my brother or sister in Christ? See, Paul is challenging us to be builders, to build it up, to be bridge builders instead of demolishers. And my highest priority in relationship with others should be their building up, not their destruction. As a brother and sister in Christ. So the application for this one is this. Is there anyone you've demolished lately? Is there anyone that you have just told them how the cow ate the cabbage? Is there anyone that you just let it all fly with them and demolish them? And if so, you need to ask them for forgiveness. And work at restoring that ruptured relationship. Folks, that's what Paul is saying here. Pursue that relationship. Pursue peace and the building up of one another. Look at verse 22. Hone in just a minute, I'm almost done. Verse 22 says, The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. See, there are certain things that we read about in God's Word, and we know exactly what God's Word is saying. It says don't do this, so that means we don't do that, okay? There are other things that we may feel like are debatable topics, and we seem to have to tell everyone what we think about those debatable topics. I'm going to tell you right now that my opinion and your opinion does not matter. What matters is God's opinion. I don't know why we feel like we have to put that out there. You know, actually, according to verse 22, the way of wisdom is to keep some things private between you and God. I mean, that's wisdom. Your personal convictions ought to be just that. Personal But so many times we want to share them with everybody. And if they were meant for everyone, if they were meant to be for everyone, God would have included them in his word as well. I love that. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. He gave those convictions to you personally. And they should stay between you and God. You know, Albert Barnes, a Bible commentator from years past, he said this. He said, be satisfied with cherishing your own opinions. I think that's a good way to look at it. Be satisfied with cherishing your own opinions. Spurgeon had this insight. He said, do you feel quite sure upon such matters? Then keep it within thy own bosom and do not worry others with it. See, it's helpful for me to remember that (laughs) my response is my responsibility. And your response is your responsibility. I'm not going to give an account for you someday. I'm going to give an account to God for me someday. We each have that. The application is this. When faced with an opportunity this week to express your opinion on something that is disputable, no matter how worked up you get over it, take a breath and say nothing. Keep your conviction as your own conviction before you and God. The last thing is this. When in doubt... Throw it out. If you don't know whether it's good or not, whether it's right or wrong, then don't do it. When in doubt, throw it out. The last sentence of this passage says, And whatever is not from faith is sin. You know, many young guys, they they grow up doing the sniff test on laundry. Hey, is this shirt still clean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not too bad. Growing up in a home, you know, with four boys, raising four boys, Tracy will never do the sniff test. Ever. She says, I don't do the sniff test. She says, if it's doubtful, it's dirty. Folks, if you're trying to decide whether you're going to do something or not, whether it's right or wrong, if it's doubtful... It's dirty. What's not from faith is sin. And that's a good measure and sensible measure for our actions. The application for that is this. Think of a way in which you've compromised your conscience or your beliefs or your behavior and ask God to give you the strength to discontinue that attitude or that activity. In other words, ask God to help you get rid of it if you know it ain't right. It isn't right. You know, in just a moment, I'm going to lead us in prayer. And we're going to stand together and we're going to sing together. But in all of life, God initiates with us. We're poor, wretched sinners. And He reached out and He saved us. He initiated And we responded. That's the way it is in life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So in a moment, we're going to have a time of response. God has initiated, and it's our turn to respond. You know, we can respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ... Acknowledging Him as our Savior and Lord. And if you've never done that, if you've never acknowledged Christ as your Savior and Lord, you need to do that. You need to come to a place where you confess your sin before Him and you ask Him to come in and to forgive you of your sin so that He can be your Lord and Savior. If you've never done that today, you need to respond to the gospel Maybe you're here and you know things are not right in your life. Maybe there's a relationship that's not right. Maybe there's things in your life that uh, be- between um, family members, between co-workers, between another church member, between whomever. And you know this situation isn't right. You need to own it. You need to give it to God. And you need to ask Him and His wisdom. And I, I You know, we respond to Him. Maybe you're here, you're a believer... And, you know, God doesn't have any homeless children. He takes care of his own. And if you don't have a church home and you want to plug in somewhere to serve and to learn and to grow, this is a good one. You can do that this morning. But however it is that God is asking you to respond to him, I encourage you to do that while we sing. There's going to be a few people up here to pray with you. But respond to the Spirit of God. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. And God, I I ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to search and to examine our hearts. And bring to mind those things that may not be right. I ask father that in this time of response that you would guide us that father we may not even recognize that you are the one who brought us to this place this morning father you initiated your word to us father we sing songs like i surrender all we sing songs like that we are, say that we are fully surrendered to you. But God, I ask that you would help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, that if there are areas that we need to repent of, that there would be a great repentance among your people. Father, that, that we would get on our knees before you and repent of those things that we know are not right. In our relationships, in our heart, in our lives, in our homes, in our schools, in our campuses, everywhere we go, Father, in our work. But God, that you would make it right. Father, use us. I ask that in this time of response, Father, that your Holy Spirit would draw each of us close to you. We ask this in the mighty and precious name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.